Hello and welcome back to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We're glad you're listening and we hope you continue to do so. This episode is part 7 of our Unplugged series and features special guest speaker, Calvary Tabernacle Youth Pastor Chris Barber. Please enjoy. This is not a joke. I'm going to direct your attention to Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2. And right now, Brother Brzezinski's thinking, what did I do? Uh, And we're just going to dive right in. Chapter 2, verse 15. Hold your horses. Uh, It's about to get wild. Uh, But just teasing you a little bit. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And I really do feel this is my heart tonight to to give to you. It's not going to be life changing in terms of a word that you've never heard before, although there's nothing new under the sun, uh, but hopefully it will benefit you. And it says this, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, because our relationship is juvenile in nature. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, man. In this particular text, and, and that's all I will read out of that book tonight. You're welcome. Uh, but uh, it is powerful in its prophetic nature in that we see a young, budding relationship with Christ growing. Now, many of you, I can tell, I know your history enough to know you've grown up in the church, and so your relationship with God, you've been in church longer than I have been, even though I'm much senior in age uh, to you all. However, I would consider us all in a position of having a relatively young walk with God. Even if it's 15 years, it pales in comparison to my grandpa-in-law, who I referenced last Wednesday night in, in church, who's been in church many years. And his testimony is just so incredible. Uh, and the testimony of his wife, it's just, just unbelievable. And to think that any time we gather together on a Sunday, and as the Bible says, we're compassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses. And so there's so many elders in our church that surround us with worship and not just with their worship, but their experience that accompanies that. And so we've got a, a juvenile, probably, if that's, I don't mean that in an insulting way because I'm including myself, uh, a, a relatively young relationship with God. And as such, we have to take proper care to make sure that we are protecting it and guarding it. For us to bear fruit in our walk with God, we have to make sure that we have done everything necessary and at our disposal to protect the vines that are bearing the fruit so that the fruit can grow and manifest in our lives. Now, the Bible says that you've got to be aware of the foxes, but there is an adjective involved with that, and Scripture explicitly states you've got to be aware of the little foxes, Brother Chandler. You've got to be aware of the small things, the things that you would perceive to be insignificant, because one thing I have found in my tenure in ministry is that the way that devil, the devil in hell tries to catapult young people into a fiery furnace is not by introducing a cocaine addiction. It's just not feasible that I don't probably think there's anybody in this place that's even dabbled with cocaine. So it's just not the way that that hell tries to destroy the church and to take out a generation, but rather what the devil tries to do is introduce small foxes. Sly, cunning, metho- methodological, or met- uh, that's, a, that's a made-up word there, uh, but I think you know what I was trying to get at. Uh, small things, things that we would perceive to be insignificant in the grand scheme of things, things that if we were to compare ourselves with the person to our right or to our left, we say, well, at least we're not doing what they're doing. However, it is these small foxes that spoil the vine. 
It's the things that you would perceive to have no weight and bearing on your eternity that will be the thing that introduces itself into your walk with God that not only prevents you from breakthrough, but destroys your life from the inside to the outside. And unfortunately, I've seen many apostolic young people walk away from this precious truth and the power that's inherent in our gospel message because they have allowed some things that they thought were small, from music to, to entertainment sources to different types of, uh, I, I don't know, we could go on down the list, and I'm not trying to exhaust a point that you're probably already familiar with. Scripture implores us that the foxes are small, and they are insignificant in stature, but powerful in their potential to cause harm. Now watch this. Humanity has a well-known tendency to place great emphasis on things that we perceive to be catastrophic, right? We're afraid of sharks, uh, grizzly bears. Now, as a result of being a youth pastor, I've done a great more study on selfies than I care to admit. Uh, it just makes my mind hurt, you know, and I constantly have to refresh myself. It used to be, I remember when old sister Madison and, and Caitlin back there were like planking at Calvary Christian school. And it was like, it, it, you know, it's just like it, with Diet Cokes in their hands, by the way, it's like, what, what are you guys doing in here today? Or I can remember, I've got this imagery. It's like a movie engrafted in my mind, Zach Cunningham, like bouncing, like he was laying on the ground, but he was pushing his feet from... <laughs> So from locker to locker, like, I don't know, like ping-ponging across the hallway. I don't know how he did. And so I've done a great deal of study on, on selfie culture. And I recently read a story of a man in India who thought it was a good idea to go take a selfie next to an injured bear. Uh, and fill in the blanks here. That was a horrific move. And he lost his life because he took a selfie with a bear. However, it is statistically accurate to depict to you that you have like a million percent greater chance of dying from a gummy bear than a grizzly bear. So we're afraid of, of grizzly bears, and we want to be careful. We're, I'm glad Brother Chandler is with me over here. We don't want to go to Yellowstone because of the grizzly bears, and we would have like, like squirt guns filled with bear mace and whatever, but it's actually a, a gummy bear that's going to take your life. Or, or if you're like me, recently, last, last uh, February, I took a flight to uh, California, and I was flying on the return flight in and out of Denver, and so we're going over the Rocky Mountains and the pilot gets on the intercom and has no tech. Like, pilots should have to go through bedside manner just like doctors because he gets on and all he says is, it's going to be bad. Hang on. We will not help you. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I am going to die. Well, I landed in Denver, and I called my wife immediately like, I'm not getting on another plane. I'm not doing it. And she said, or you could just, you know, grow up and get back on the plane instead of, will you calm down? Uh, instead of get back on the plane. Uh, or get in a car, rather, and drive 15 hours, you could be home in an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, praise God, I guess I could do that. So I was like, I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to get on uh, pilots.com or whatever and give myself a tutorial and overcome my fear of flying. It didn't work. It made it worse. But I did get on the plane, and I did get home. Uh, but I'll never get on a plane again. Uh, we're afraid of, afraid of flying, yet you have a greater chance of dying from food poisoning, falling off a ladder, falling off your bed while asleep, I'm looking at you, uh, drowning while taking a bath and being struck by lightning. So we're afraid of catastrophic things. However, it's the seemingly insignificant things that are going to be far more detrimental. One more, as we fear sharks, I, I generally, when we go on vacation and my wife and I were on vacation, I think 
before we had kids around the Tampa area, and I'd wake up at like five in the morning, and I'd go, I'd catch bait, and I'd have uh, a bucket of minnows and different things that I'd caught, and I'd go wade out to about chest deep, and nobody be out there but me and the dolphins, and it was beautiful, and I'd try and fish, and it was snook season, which you don't even know what that is, but trust me, it's epic, it's awesome, it's cooler than you could ever imagine, and so I'm out there in the middle of the water, and I see kind of the water starting to part a little bit about 50 yards out, and I'm like, what is that? Uh, and, I, and all I can see is a dark mass and a dark shadow under the water, and I have no clue what it is. I can't see it because the water's too murky, but it's making its way towards me. Well, I'm like in chest deep in water. I'm probably like 25 yards away from water, and I am not very water dynamic. Like, I don't know the water equivalent of aerodynamic, but like, I, I am not water dynamic. So, like, my arms are moving like super fast, like, you know, like this, but my legs are like, you know, like that made me jiggle a little bit. Uh, so, like, I'm trying to get away from it because, bro, I'm that shark's gonna mess me up. And so, I finally get to the rocks right in time. It was like so dramatic and uh, just magnificent. Uh, but what it was, it was a manatee. And so, I follow this manatee. I called my wife. I'm like, "You're never gonna believe it. I thought I was gonna die, but it's a manatee, and manatees are out, and, and dolphins are out." And she said, "Why did you call me? I was asleep." And hung up on me. Uh, but while we fear sharks, you're more likely to die from a coconut falling falling from a tree. I found this interesting. You are exponentially more in danger of dying from scalding hot water. I don't even know how that happens. Uh, there was no like footnote on that one. And you are more likely to die from wind than a shark is likely to kill you, according to the statistics. However, repeatedly through Scripture, we see a principle established to us that small things have great consequences. You only need to muster up face the size of a mustard seed for a mountain to be moved. You if God is going to trust you in big promises, we must learn to master small responsibilities. And the letter to the Galatians inform us that a small amount of leaven will cause rise to the whole loaf of bread. A little leaven is all it takes to corrupt the entirety of the final product. And what I have discovered is most catastrophes within the church start in what we would perceive to be insignificant places. There are young people outside of the realm of covenant right now because somewhere along the line in their young and juvenile walk with God, they did not take care to protect the vine from the small foxes. And as a result, the foxes expounded in their life to the degree that they are wanting to come back. But in their mind, they are so seared from their conscience that they do not believe it's possible for them to have an overcoming walk with God any longer. It is a tragedy today, and it's one that we could easily overcome if we were to take proper uh, credence and understand that the way the devil is going to attack us is in the small things. Now, here's what I believe firmly, and it just seems like a cute point to say, but I, I believe that the devil attacks that which he fears. And much of young people and the potential that is invested within this generation and a generation where it is necessary for us to rise to the occasion and fight the good fight of faith is he is scared to death. However, I'm not one to kind of shine up the, the particular struggles that our generation goes with, and I think that we are missing out on some particular elements of our covenant and a deeper consecrated walk with God that, that needs to be fixed before we're ever going to have this end-time revival that's been prophesied by our elders and our movement. However, we will never fight the fight that God has intended for us to have if we can't master the small things. It's the small things. It's the things that you think don't matter. Because in the grand scheme of things, I'm not, I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to perhaps pornography. But there's lust in our heart. And there's other elements that might be on a lesser degree that we perceive to be just nonsense or, or inconsequential is the word I'm looking for. However, God says, no, you've got to be careful of the small things. Because it's the small things that will manifest themselves in your lives and exponentially grow. Now, let me just give you a more hands-on 
example, is uh, it, how many of you have heard of the Momo challenge or the Momo thing on Facebook just by showing your hand? So do, is there anybody who doesn't know maybe? Okay, so this, it's, it's a diabolical thing, and, and we don't know if, if even if it's true. I've read that it was uh, conspiracy and that it wasn't really out there. I've read, no, it's actually out there. I've seen videos. I've done a good amount of study on it. But, however, there was a Japanese sculpture artist who developed a sculpture that somebody took a picture of. And on YouTube Kids, there is uh, a video that will randomly or a clip that will randomly show up in random videos on YouTube Kids. So you've got your kids on a YouTube channel that you think is, is – by perception alone, at least on, on uh, I can't get into that. So by perception alone, we think that this is a safe place to send our kids to for entertainment. And then there's this horrific picture that shows up, and it gives instruction, go to this other application, and you're going to get instructions. If you don't go to this other application, then we're going to hurt your family. So you've got a seven-year-old who's watching this, and he sees this come up, and if he can read at this point, He's starting to try and figure out, well, this is, this is, I don't know what to do here, and they're going to hurt my family, and they can't put together that this is a hoax, so they go to this other application, and I've got careful because I've got my wonderful treasures back there. This other application gives them instruction for how to uh, uh, inflict uh, violence of a physical nature against their own bodies, and it gives them instruction. Now, I don't know that this is true. I, I have no reason to believe it's not, but it is a perplexing problem, and judging by the, the raised eyebrows here, many of us are like, well, that is not a good thing. Of course, that's like a grizzly bear in our midst. However, we don't take proper care to understand that there's also videos that don't have a Momo popping up that are teaching our children, as well as us in a greater, more adult sense of entertainment, some very com complicated anti-scriptural principles that are becoming evident in, in, our, in our youth ministries, in our hyphen ministries, and we're seeing trends that are developing all across our movement that in the end time hour when we need apostolic faith and people to herald the banner of righteousness and holiness, but we've been indoctrinated with small foxes through the entertainment, so we're looking at things saying, well, I don't want Momo in my kid's life. I don't want Momo either, but I also don't want uh, uh, roots of, of, of homosexuality, which are evident, and I don't want roots of, well, you just got to love everybody. Of course I want them to love everybody, but I want them to know the boundary of Scripture uh, uh, integrity and, and righteousness and hopefulness, and I don't want them to be indoctrinated by certain things. So we rise to the occasion, and I've never seen more people share a prolific boogeyman in the Momo challenge because we're afraid of the grizzly bears, but it is the gummy bears that's going to choke out a generation. It's the gummy bears that's going to kill the future of our church and the vibrant nature that God has called us to have. But by the way, he will rise up a, a church, and he will reach out into the far-fold corners of uh, Fountain Square, Indiana, and find somebody on a, uh, on a, on a street drunk or high or whatever the case may be. He's going to have revival, and it might as well be us, but I don't want to be choked out by things that we perceived in our flesh to be insignificant and inconsequential when, in fact, God warned us. In a vibrant, budding relationship with God, you better be careful about the small foxes because the small foxes will overrun you before the large wolves and lions will. So I want to talk to you about what I perceive to be some small foxes tonight, and I hope I don't get too radical. It's 813. I'll try and be mindful of the time is I, th I think one of the first small foxes that we have tonight is we do not do justice to the investigation of modern-day idolatry. Romans 1, 21, 22, and 25 says, Because that when we knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. That's important. They didn't glorify him, neither were they thankful. And as a result, they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Their downfall into sin and darkness started somewhere small, and it was not in, in, in going and worshiping something likened unto Buddha. 
All right, they didn't go rub the belly of a fat statue. That's not where it started. It started someplace insignificant. They failed to give thanks to God. They failed to take proper credence and know God. Although they knew him, Brother Brzezinski, they failed to give acknowledgement to him because there was something within them that they failed to take pause. Now, I, 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 I hope that I'm not speaking out against the young people, but I've been teaching this particular principle. We've got a lot to be thankful for, particularly in this church. We've got a lot to give God thanks and and gratuity for. And if we fail to take pause and reflect on the great things in life, and if all we can do is is come up with curses, and and I'm not talking about curse words, but things to be critical of or or concerned about or, or to tear down, there is a problem that will begin to develop because then as a result, they're, they're, they profess themselves to become wise, but they became fools. And as a result, they changed the truth of God into a lie. They served, they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. So this is what this looks like. Is I, I've helped at IBC for a number of years now, and I've helped Pastor Mooney's class. And I can tell you that there is a number of apostolic students that cannot recite Acts chapter 238. But we know every statistic on March Madness. You've got people walking the halls of our youth rallies that that can recite entire movie uh, scripts to you, but we can't herald what Acts chapter 2 reflects to us. And we want to be the generation that's going to rise to the occasion. We want pastors to stand in the pulpit and talk about the great promises of the end time revival. Like we're going to have church and we're going to have a breakthrough. We will whenever we take seriously the word of God and the the trust that God has placed in our hearts and lives. It's not anything to be trifled with. Some of the complex problems that have come across my desk these past couple of weeks, it's not something that's going to be glossed over because we've got a fancy pamphlet to hand out on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. It's going to be because we have elders in our lives and pastors and shepherds for our souls that know how to fall on their face and get a hold of God. And we could say, well, I want to go to this, and I, and I want to go, and I don't like the way that this is done. And I'm not talking necessarily to this group right now, but just a broader generational problem. I want to go to this, and I saw on Instagram the way that they do things here, and all that's fine, and, and that's great, and that's wonderful. But you don't know what you could be forfeiting as a result of reaching out for the creation. I don't want creation so much as I want creator. I don't want program so much as I want anointing. I don't want somebody who's going to give me a tickling ear sermon so much I want somebody who's going to preach to me the unadulterated, powerful, whole and complete word of God. Idolatry isn't just having shrines established to where we go through chanting or rituals, but it's placing something or someone at a place in our lives that takes preeminence over our relationship with God. Watch this now. I've seen so many gifted and anointed young people walk away from their faith and relationship with God because they were they coveted certain things as innocent as being in a band. The small foxes. Well, Brother Barber, it's not a big deal. It's just banned. Well, I understand that. But I haven't seen you for two months of Wednesday nights. Well, I, I, I know, but I'm with good people. Well, I'm not judging them. But you're not in the house of God. Well, Brother Barber, it's, 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 it's just basketball. And, and it's teaching me teamwork. And it's in, yeah, but you're posting selfies of your new basketball shoes. But the last time I saw you post anything of spiritual reference, not that I like to put spiritual things on social media either, but, but you get the point. It's like you're proud of certain things. So your little LeBron James shoes that you're heralding on, on social media it, in a shrine, it becomes an idol. And even though we're not, like I said, in trying to be in, in just rubbing the belly of a fat statue, 
issue doesn't mean that we haven't placed something in preeminence over our walk with God. And it's a seemingly insignificant, innocent thing that somehow grabs our attention and catapults itself as the top level of our life. When we should be contending for the word of God and investing in the house of God and cleaning the ovens with Brother Chandy. And whatever the case may be, because there's things that need to be done and should take priority and precedence rather than just us, us saying, well, it's, it's not that big a deal. I know people who have said, well, it's work. I've got to make money. I've got to pay for the cell phone. I understand that. I get that. I'm not, I, listen, I'm not trying to be domineering or dictating. All I know is I've seen the same warning signs time and again, and it's the things that we perceive to be small. They'll come to me with great testimony. Somebody offered to sell me a, a, a bag of marijuana at my public school, and I said, no, well, that's great, but it's not the grizzly bear that I'm concerned about. It's the gummy bear. It's not the shark. It's the, it's the wind. It's the scalding hot water. It's not the thing that you are, you know, well, I, I didn't go to this concert when my friends went to a concert. Well, that's great, and I'm so happy that you had the wisdom not to do that. I'm not belittling the fact that that's a great move. However, where have you been on Tuesday night prayer? Where have you been when the house of God was open? Where have you been when we needed spiritual acclimated apostolic young people who are in not just in, in, in uh, uh, obligation to God but in covenant with him to where we have a deep desire to touch the throne? of God on any given week, which leads me to my next point, church attendance. It's a, it's a seemingly insignificant thing, and you holler at me. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to help you. I hope you hear, feel my heart. I hope you know how much I love you, and I love young people, and not that you're young people. You're close to me in age and generation, So, I, I, but I hope you know that I'm doing this out of, out of love for us because I see some trends developing that concern me. And I'm not content with people just growing in number and the size of our congregation if we're not discipling saints and having people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I didn't come into this precious faith because I wanted a social group and I wanted some good fellowship and I wanted to meet a wife. I wasn't, that wasn't even on my mind. I was desperate for the Lord. Get me in the foot of the cross because I need redemption. And if our churches aren't dedicated and our generation isn't dedicated to contending for these people in the way that they need contention, if we're not taking opportunity to flood into the house of God when it's open on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because here you are on a Wednesday night listening to me. You must be nuts. Uh, uh, but the reality is, is that we don't just, it's not just our responsibility. It's our privilege to go to war for them. And the house of God and church attendance is, is absolutely critical. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another. And so the much more as you see the day approaching, we should be much more uh, content to flood into the house of God instead of the generational uh, contention being able to find ways to avoid the house of God. I talked to my, my grandpa in law. I don't know how to call him. He's like a grandpa to me, anyways, Mr. M. And he said, he said Chris, you know, uh, 30 years ago, people would go to church every day out of the week, he said, but we didn't have nothing else to do. He said, there was nothing else going on. And now we're, we're, it's prolific, the amount of things. There's something for everybody. You can go make Sister Anderson's life a nightmare by riding those scooters everywhere up and down the streets and just throwing them in the dumpster and saying, hey, we're just trying to. Sh- put some anomalies in your equation and your problem solving back there. And there, I mean, there's what else could you can go to games, you can go to all kinds of entertainment sources and you can do that every day out of the week. And he said, it's just a different culture, the way that we can find reasons to miss church. However, this scripture in Hebrews 10 25 says that you should exhort or lift up one another because the day of the Lord is coming near. And if there's ever been a time in our history, and I know it's been said generations before, but when the coming of Christ is coming close, it's now. And if there's ever been a time 
time where we've got young people saying, I can't because I've got band practice. I'm like, buddy, you've got a responsibility to the eternity of your soul to go ahead and say, put the tuba down because a house of the God is in need of people to come and worship him and invite his presence here. This is why I think that we should come to church. And, and of course, there's many other reasons beyond this that would exhaust this point. The preached word of God is our strength and our hope. God chose the foolishness of preaching. And here's what I've noticed is sometimes sermons don't always seem life-changing. But it's amazing to me what we re- retain out of, out of the just seemingly ordinary sermons. And sometimes as a preacher, you feel a, a, in fact, every time you feel a need and a pressure to every time you stand behind a pulpit for it to be of North American Youth Congress caliber and for it to be the best sermon you've ever preached. However, I found out so many times it feels like I have totally bombed. And I'm not fishing for compliments. Don't come try and make me feel better because it's impossible. Ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> But the, I, I didn't know. Okay. Uh, but the reality is, is some of these sermons that have benefited me the most have been the things that didn't impress me at all. But I sat and I thought about them. And because my pastor was sensitive to the Holy Ghost, something spoke into the depths of my soul. I, don't, I, I want to come to church because I don't know when I'm going to miss out on that. In fact, the, I think the second thing is engaging with others of like faith results in a greater strength in our faith. When Mary was given the commission that the promise was going to be born of her, and although she knew no man, the first time in history, in fact, the only time in history, a child was going to be immaculately conceived from Jesus's mother, Mary. And of course, imagine that was you. Even that, as weird as that is, guys, imagine, uh, here's the reality. If somebody walked in that door right now, Brother Brzezinski, and came in here and said, Brother Keegan, I've got a declaration. Some young lady walks in, she says, I got a declaration. I am carrying God's son. And I've known no, we'd say, get lunatic Lucy to the psychiatric ward. She's nuts. She's crazy. She's making this up. And so Mary had to feel a certain element of, they're going to think I'm nuts. And what am I going to say to my husband? And how am I going to explain this to my family? So Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Or the angel says, here's what I want you to do. Your cousin Elizabeth is expecting. Now, she was once barren, but now she bears a promise as well. And if you want to see your promise come to fruition, you need to partner your faith with somebody else who's expecting. And I'm going to tell you what's powerful about the house of God is even though you might come and that word might not have been for you, when you sit next to a brother or sister in Christ who's also expecting great things, I'm going to tell you something. The promise that has been implanted within your heart and soul is going to come to fruition because you've took proper care to protect that which God has put deep within your soul and when you go to work on Monday and you go to work on Tuesday and you're surrounded by people that are saying God knows what brother Freimeyer and they're talking about this or that or carnal things and you're sitting there surrounded by carnality that's when you get to come together on Wednesday or Sunday morning and Sunday night and say I'm partnering with my cousin or my brother and sister in the Lord because they're expecting great things and I want to be compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses and people who understand the power and the authority of God's word this is why God says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together it's these small things and it would be easy for us to say well I'm tired tonight I worked a double shift or or I'm feeling a little sick and and I understand that but our elders didn't find a mistake they said so long as the house of God is open we will be there and the greatest generation that has helped me to be a man of God that I am were people that said I will not miss going into the house of the Lord so long as I can come I promise you I really think this about our pastor is, is I know him pretty well and and I don't hear him complain about much but I think he could have his arm lopped off and he would find a way to give me a Band-Aid big enough <laughs> to cover the wound and give me a little something to, to disguise it in my suit coat because I'm going to the house of God, and I want to be like that. And then, of course, church services provide altars, and we've got a responsibility to kill the things in our lives that should not be there. I never want to miss an altar call, even if I don't feel like that word resonated for me. He could have been talking about, I, I don't know, uh, 
get rid of basketball. Well, Bubba, I'd done that 15 years ago. Look at me, okay? I picked up the fishing pole, not the basketball. Uh, that ain't for me, but I'm still going to go into that altar and try and say, God, whatever it is in my life that needs to be killed right now, I'm going to take advantage of this altar call. Finally, I think that this fits with our announcement uh, that we heard, is you need to find a place to engage. And one of the most formidable areas of Fox's spoiling potential is having no place to contribute or engage. The church is the body of Christ, and we all have areas where we are intended to engage and provide utility. And one of the areas of weakness is where we fail to contribute based on the gifting God has given us. David was a warrior, and he understood what it was to step out into the battlefield and fight for God's people. Not only was it his gifting, but it was his responsibility by title. The king of a nation had a responsibility to fight and to lead the nation into battle. However, after fight after fight and war after war, David finally called in and threw in the towel and said, you know what, I just don't feel like it this day. Now, Scripture doesn't decide or declare exactly what happened or why he decided to stay back. We just know that he decided to seem, stay home. It was a seemingly insignificant decision. I'm just not going to engage today. I'm just not going to contribute today. Somebody else in our, in our battlefield, my captains, they can help. They can, they, we've got song leaders. We've got tons of preachers. Our, our, our preaching bench is deep. There's somebody else who can carry the pulpit on this day. There's other people that could engage and contribute. And while that's good and it's good to share uh, things and get everybody involved or whatever, you, you certainly under, understand the point that I'm trying to make was by neglecting his duties and responsibilities, he put himself in a place of vulnerability which led to greater transgression. Because that day when he stayed home and it was just a decision to stay back and it was just a decision that should have been inconsequential, he looked out on that, on that lady on that, on that uh, patio and, and he had a moment of transgression, but it started with something small. It started with something insignificant. God hasn't called you to just sit here on a pew. He's called you to contribute. And I got to tell you, much of that contribution, 99% of it, is going to be serving and it's going to be cleaning ovens. In fact, my birth in ministry started with the precious mother-in-law that's helping with my children right now and thankful that she gave me a, an opportunity, even though a lot of times she didn't, she'd have to take that pot and pan away from me because I didn't know what I was doing, but she at least gave me an opportunity to be around the house of God. That's what it is, and we have to fix those things because it's important to provide an area for people to come together and worship. You know why? Because there's people outside of these walls tonight that are fighting for their life. There's people, there's people tonight that are fighting to just try and find a reason to wake up tomorrow and to not, without getting too graphic. Statistics are showing us that depression and, and horrific things, and, and I'm not trying to bog down. It's just the reality. It's the reality. And so you say, well, how can I do that? I'm not preaching, and, and so I'm not, I'm not taking up the offering. It doesn't matter if I'm there or not. Oh, it matters. It matters. Because as much as it matters for me to hear the worship of my pastor conducted and to hear his voice, I can tell you time and again where it's been some elders who are no longer with us. Where it's been my, I can tell you, I'm not trying to embarrass her or call her out, but it's just maybe she's in my mind because she's back there. I can tell you there's been some youthful nights when I was a couple years younger than what you all are, are right now. And it was the prayers and worship of Natalie Gwalney that helped me feel the glory of God. As much as it was my youth pastor, and I love Josh Anderson, he, he was probably preaching a masterpiece. It was the worship of the people to my right and my left that were trying to partner expectation with me and engaging the way that they could contribute. You might, you might never preach a Sunday night or, or a Friday night at Youth Congress, but you're a contributor. You're a part of the body of Christ. In fact, we place way too much emphasis on the things that are inconsequential, these conferences and conventions, and I'm glad they're growing, and I'm glad they're exciting, and I'm glad attendances are through the roof, but... 
this is the local assembly. This is where God's favor and anointing is. And that's not to belittle these awesome times that we get to go gather together and cross fellowship between congregations. But we are the body of Calvary Tabernacle. And you need to find a place to contribute and serve. If it's in the media booth, it's in the media booth. But if it's scrubbing an oven, let's scrub the oven to the best of our abilities because the house of God needs care and attention. And I tell you this, why it's important for you to come together on Wednesdays and not sit back into the relics of the corners of the auditorium where you can feel like you're out of the cascade of the vision of Pastor Mooney or Brother Pedigo or whoever the case may be. Why don't we gather together and set a tone and precedence for these apostolic young people that are still in youth world so that they can see the people that preceded them in a generation worshiping God and getting a hold of God and God using you in mighty ways. Let me tell you something. You might be removed from the youth group, but you are not out of the eyes and vision of them. They look to you. They look to you. What's next in my life? What do I expect next? And I want them to expect great great things. And I want them to expect the power of God manifesting itself in their life by engaging in the power and the glory of, of the church. We think our attendance doesn't matter. Our church is big. I've covered this. Anybody can do it. And it's the little foxes that will spoil the vine. Do I have a couple more minutes? It's 8.30. What time do we normally wrap up? Okay. I'll, I'll say this quickly. I think the final thing is, and, and I've got several series dedicated to the same thought on the, on the little things, but one thing, even though it doesn't attach or flow as well as the previous three points, is, is pride is a very uh, silent killer in, in, our, in our movement, especially within the demographic of uh, uh, being college age and, and hyphen age. And Second Chronicles 26, 1 and 5 gives us the story of a man named Uzziah who was appointed as a king at 16 years old. And the way that scripture is worded, it would appear that he was appointed king rather than being in lineage of the king. So it was a situation much like Saul. And the Bible says in verse 5, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, he says, And he, being Uzziah, sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had an understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So he was installed at 16. Can you imagine being a 16-year-old? Now, I started to steal my parents' car when I was in, like, eighth grade, and that was pretty, I don't know if that was adult or childish of me. It's like a fine mixture of both. Uh, but there's, there's 16 years old in, in my youth group. I mean, there's like, there's, like, there's, like, 30 years old in our district. I wouldn't trust them with my purple minivan, and I literally want that thing driven off a cliff. Uh, I just wouldn't trust them to get the job done. Like, it's just like, so this guy's 16 years old. I don't know why I say certain things. Uh, and he was very successful. He built a strong military. He developed the land. He built a strong fortress around the city. And he was an extremely intelligent and successful king. However, later on, just 10 verses later, 26 verse 15 and 16, it says, And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot ar arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. And watch this. This was his downfall, which doesn't make sense entirely uh, on the first reading. And he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. The final dagger in his walk with God. And Uzziah died a miserable death of alienation, isolation, and he was a leper. He went from being one of the most successful and prolific kings of Judah to being a leper who was an outcast because of pride, a silent killer. But the final thing, the final thing that God just had no stomach for is when he went to the temple of the Lord to burn incense and to worship God, and he burnt incense upon the altar of incense. The problem was is he went outside of the law 
and the priests were supposed to be the ones who burnt the incense. But he wanted to be a king that expanded his power and authority because he was a great and successful man. And so he said, I, I think that I can be above the law. And in his own understanding, his pride, which although it wasn't a grizzly bear, but it was a gummy bear, it was his downfall. Because he began to think some thoughts that I hear young people say, well, I just don't know that our elders entirely understand the complexity of our culture today. And I just don't know if the lines that they begin to develop apply to us today. And I just don't understand how they could make things 50 years ago or however long ago it was when the UPCI was crafted and the bylaws that they don't know what we were going to struggle with today. But one thing I know is our elders fell on their faces and prayed and sought the face of God. And what many young people are doing is saying, I don't feel like this is a big deal, and I don't think that this is a big deal, without saying, I prayed about this, and I've sought the face of God through his holy writ and word. And that's a problem because we could be successful in our jobs, and you are on the brink of great successes that will catapult the future of your life. You're doing well in college. I, I look out, and I'm so impressed, I mean, to see some of you doing these great projects, and not to pick on Sister Madison, but we love her, she takes such good care of our kids, but to see what she's doing, and, and Brother Ross, and all these different people, but Primer now she's called names, all of y'all are doing so great, and, and it's amazing, but the problem with this king was when he began to do good, he said, you know what, I think that I am beginning to understand things a little bit better than my elders do, and that's a problem, because when pride begins to enter in, you don't know that it's beginning to destroy you, because it's a little fox. And we were looking for the cocaine addiction. And we were looking for the great catastrophic moves that were, aren't you proud of me, Pastor? Aren't you proud of me because I, I turned this down and this person came and tempted me with this. Oh, but it's the little foxes. It's the little foxes. I'll tell you one final story as you stand with me. I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name. It's a lake, Lake Neos, N-Y-O-S, a small volcanic eruption below this lake created the carbon dioxide trapped within the bottom of the lake to erupt to the surface. Once released from the water's surface, the gas catapulted into the air 64 miles per hour and spread, into, and spread it down into the valleys below as far as 16 miles away. The inhabitants around the area heard a noise, but they saw no danger, heard no danger, felt no danger, smelled no danger. However, 1,700 people died because carbon dioxide is an undetectable gas that is toxic and it cannot be seen. And a lot of times our potential danger is nearly undetectable because it is seemingly inconsequential, but it is these small things that we do not detect by our eye or our natural senses that seek to destroy us. And the greatest danger that we have as a church, as your generation, as young people that I've had the privilege tonight, and I'm so gracious and glad and humbled at the invitation to be with you tonight. It will not be the large things in life. And of course, tragedy and despair, you can't belittle the fact that they've got their contributions and our, and our deterrent to having an overcoming walk with God. And we've all gone through our fair share of tragedy, but usually tragedy pushes us closer to the throne. It is the things that we perceive to be of no harm to us. I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to move in this place. Jesus. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. This is what I think would be good if you would just lift your hands to heaven right now. And I think there's somebody under my voice who's been struggling with some things, has been trying to figure out how to find their way back to God or have a meaningful relationship with Him. Can I just encourage you right now? The reason you've been in a dogfight is because the devil's threatened by you. And you can either be defeated or you can be a victor. The choice is really yours. Because we know the end of the book and God will make a way of escape and He'll give you a glorious redemption. 
that nobody can stop, no demon, no person has the ability to, to preclude you and prevent you from what God has promised for you. But you can make the decision tonight to either give your life to God in the entirety that it is, or you can say, you know what, I'm going to continue to fight and figure things out on my own. Oh, what a tragic mistake that would be. Lord, we love you tonight. If there's anybody, if it's just one person under my voice, God, I pray that right now your hand of mercy would just begin to extend upon their soul, that you take away the confusion, the hurt, the pain, the agony that we've gone through, God. There is certainly a struggle in the middle of our life. There's a wonderful beginning where we start out so great and feeling your spirit and being filled with the Holy Ghost is a wonderful experience, and we are promised of a glorious end to, to go to heaven someday, but it is the middle that is our tragedy. It's the middle that's our struggle, and I pray right now that wherever somebody's going through in this particular moment in time, God, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would equip them, God, to make it through, but you would help us, Jesus, to take up the small foxes, God. Help us to not be tried or frivolous with our walk with you. Help us to guard it at all costs. Help us to begin to appreciate the things of your kingdom, the blessings you've expanded upon us, God. Help us to not take it for granted. Help us to not be unthankful like it's recorded in the book of Romans, but help us to lift up holy hands in one mind and in one accord and to feel your precious word and to feel your precious anointing, your spirit, God, loving us, helping us, moving in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.